0: You have to get people who are smarter than you, uh, who can teach you things and and uh, where you can learn from in order to continue to move your program ahead, rather than just focusing on trying to, you know, have everybody sort of report into you and, and you're the, the clear superior. That, that to me, is, is the key.
1: Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? At just 35 years old, Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas has firmly established himself as one of the most influential minds in professional hockey. But those who have followed Kyle's career know that being the youngest person in the boardroom is nothing new to the executive. Kyle began his hockey career by becoming the youngest Asian ever certified by the NHL Players Association before working his way up the ranks as an OHL executive at just 25 years old. He then moved up and was promoted to the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the 17th in the club's history. After taking over the helm of the Maple Leafs, Kyle proved why he had been touted as one of the most exciting young executives in the sport by signing hometown hero and NHL superstar John Tavares and immediately propelling the team back into a string of postseason appearances through his unique brand of data-driven analysis. And despite his on-ice impact, perhaps Kyle's greatest influence so far has been his work in diversifying the team staff in an attempt to offer a platform to varying perspectives within the franchise. His identity as an executive has always been defined by bold and sometimes unpopular decisions, many of which are featured in the new Amazon Prime Video original series, All or Nothing, Toronto Maple Police. On today's episode, Kyle discusses what viewers can expect from the series while offering his philosophies on leadership, managing criticism, fostering young talent, and a wealth of other insights into the world of hockey and business. Enjoy. Hi Kyle, how's your day going? Good Lance, how are you today? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Well, it's a pleasure to be chatting with you. We're here to talk about a few things today, namely the new docuseries on Amazon Prime Video called Turtle Maple Leafs All or Nothing. But I also want to explore your POV on leadership, uh, talent cultivation, and more. That sounds good to you. Sounds great. Awesome. So you're featured uh, quite prominently in All or Nothing. What was it like having a team document the highs and lows of your job and really draw back the curtain on all the dynamics involved in running and operating a professional hockey team?
0: Yeah, I guess I, I don't really feel like um, anything was different because we, we had a very important season ahead of us. And I didn't think we could afford to change the way that we operated uh, just because we were being filmed or because everything we were doing was being uh, followed. Um, so, you know, what is seen there? And I know, you know, they had thousands of hours of footage. So uh, to condense that all into a five hour show is, is not probably the the easiest task. And so, we, you know, I think what you see there is, is us doing what we do on a daily basis here. And I know that, they took a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and have added to the show and and obviously, you know when when you take so many hours of footage of us at home and on the road and and doing extracurricular type things, it's it's tough to um it's tough to really boil it all down to what we're about all the time. But what you see there is basically what you get from us day to day for better or for worse. yeah,
1: yeah. And how do you learn to, you know move forward after? an intense moment or a loss. It seems to be one of the bigger themes in the docu
0: series what's your approach and mindset to that? Uh, I think difficult moments and losses, whether they're single game losses or the way that the season ended, are true tests of what you what you want to be about and you know it's easy as, as I, I said to our staff here to start this season, it's easy to truly believe in something when you're at the beginning and nothing's gone wrong yet. It's really when things don't go your way, um, you lose a game or a couple of games and and doubt starts to creep in or the season, you know, season like last season ends the way that you don't envision it and you then have to really steady yourself and, and, you know, you have to always test and check the direction that you're going uh, and whether you, you, you know, how truly, you believe in it and then continue to roll ahead. And I think that just tests your true belief and, um, you know, also tests that the process that you embark on every season and how you're building your team, how you're operating the team and disappointments, I think serve as that check on where you're at and how you want to adapt as you move ahead. And what do you hope, you know, people will walk away after watching the series, whether
1: they're, you know, diehard fans or people that just want to get, um, a closer, more intimate look. Uh, at the goings-on with the organization and the team?
0: I I think that a lot of people, I mean, and and I came from a smaller market, smaller budget team, and then came to the Leafs, and I think people have a preconceived notion about who we are and what we're about and and how we operate. And, And my hope is that they watch the documentary knowing that the season does not end the way that any of us had hoped or envisioned, but they see how much people put into um, their jobs here, from top to bottom, and I think there, there's a number of of different folks featured, uh, not just players, but many of the different staff members, and, and they show how much people care about the team, how hard everybody works, how much everybody wants to be successful, and uh, how much everybody cares about one another, um, rather than just seeing the wins and losses that happen on the ice. And I think that that to me is is what I hope people take away from uh, from the documentary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I want to zoom out a little bit and get a little bit of a bird's eye view on how you see things. You're obviously the general manager of the Maple Leafs. You've experienced both wins and losses on the ice in your role. What is your philosophy around victory and what does it mean to win and be, I guess, glorious both on and off the ice? Outside of, you know, winning a game, like you know, what does it mean from a bigger picture standpoint?
0: For me, in the bigger picture I think that you're not going to have as great an impact you can overall unless the team has success. So if the team doesn't have success on the ice, you're not going to be able to make as big a mark as you can off the ice. And I think the Raptors for us serve as the absolute pinnacle of what that can be. They've won a championship, but they've also done a lot in the community and throughout the world, really, by, by uh, taking the success that they've had with the character of which they had that success and the way in which they operate day in and day out, um, and and having a real positive impact, whether it's a, a social justice matter, whether it's um, mm-hmm. uh, improving access to basketball in Canada and the world, and um, you know massage Giants of Africa campaign, and you know all that they have done for um, not only in basketball uh, and and with their fan base in Toronto, but the impact that they've then propelled, taken that success and then propelled it to to many other um, areas, and so. I think it's very hard to have that impact when you don't have uh, success on the field to place, so whether that's on the court or on the ice, if you don't, ha- you're not going to be able to make as big an impact as a team that that's really successful in winning. So I think step one is, you know, in the end, we're a hockey team and we have to focus on building a team that can win. But I, I think all of us here, um, top to bottom an organization realize that the impact we can make is far beyond hockey, uh, whether that's in, uh, equity, diversity, uh, and inclusion, whether it's in social justice. Um, and I think our key is, is that we want to be a, a group of, of elite character people, um, that can go and do our jobs and have success, but then also realize the impact we can make on our community and country and the world. If we do that and, um, and then make sure that if we do have the success we can on the ice that we're we're propelling that uh, over to the impact we can make off.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, building on that, um, you know, mental health initiatives have been also a big kind of part of the dialogue uh recently, especially coming out of a global pandemic. Um, how do you navigate some of the mental health challenges in an arena that puts so much pressure on its stakeholders around performance and delivering excellence. How do you deal with a team's emotions, egos, anxiety, and really channel that into kind of a constructive singular direction?
0: Um, Well, I don't think that it's a team approach because I think everybody's emotions, everybody's mentality, everybody's mental health is such an individual uh, thing to them. So I, I think as a team, you have to show that you you, you for one care deeply about people uh, in those in those regards. So um, you know here, and I don't think that we are perfect by any means. Like everybody else, we are um, we are trying to provide all of our people here, the resources that they need to be at their best, um, and we want to build an environment where if they if they aren't or they're dealing with a mental illness or uh, an emotional issue, that they have the resources to, they have the resources that they can use to, to help themselves and we can help them. Uh, I think it's such an individual uh, matter, and I don't think there's one single way to approach it, but I think as a whole, uh, by showing that we care, our goal for the team is to ensure that everybody is is at their best uh, inside and outside of the, of the workplace. And I also acknowledge that the environment that we have inside the workplace plays a massive role with everybody's mental health and their emotional health. And uh, we don't take that lightly here at all.
1: Yeah. And from your standpoint, what have you found to be helpful in managing your own stress and the pressures that come with the job and the position? Um, Have you had, found any kind of specific tactics or is there a routine that you like to kind of engage in that really helps you decompress or just kind of
0: zoom out, I guess? I think, you know, largely, um, I've been, you know, from my time going back to Sault Ste. Marie and, and working in this type of job now for uh, over a decade that I, I have just become kind of conditioned to it. And I think the key part to helping yourself in that, in a general manager job, when it's not speaking about anything else is that you have to control what you control and you can't really worry about the opinions of others, you know, or the pressure that others may be putting on you or the criticisms or the doubts or anything of that nature. I think you know, realizing that the people who are important are the people inside the building here and not to fear the opinions of others as as you um, go through um, a job like this is of, of utmost importance, I, I think, in, in my experience, and I can go back to my time early in Sault Ste. Marie, when I, I think my own mental health or my own behavior was at its worst was when I, I cared a lot more about what the opinions of others were and then when you're at your best in this job, I think you're you're very mindful of what people inside the building think and you want to be at your best for them, but you realize that. Um, If you win, people are going to celebrate you. If you lose, people are going to be critical of you. Um, And that's very outcome-based. And and we just have to focus here on the process each day Uh, with regards to very specific things. I think having your routine, having a process that you rely on for decision-making, for um, your day-to-day operation of the group, for your communication with, with the entire group is pivotal to maintaining that type of environment. And then you know, in terms of small things, I think exercising is of massive importance, and just getting a sweat in each day uh, somehow, um, and even or, and even when you have important decisions, doing something as as simple as you know going for a walk before you make it, rather than just sitting and stewing in the office, is of vital importance.
1: Where do you find is the balance, I guess, between sticking to your gut and your own intuition and and having that singular focus and drowning out kind of all of the noise out there versus uh, leaning on key advice from people that you respect or something or, or being able to take feedback um, and glean whatever insight you can take from that. Like, where do you strike the balance between those two things?
0: Yeah. I I don't even, I don't look at it as even striking a balance, Lance. I I think that you, you have to take into account the, you know, of of the people who you work with and the people who you trust deeply, you, you have to have people around you that are going to disagree and you have to have people that are going to challenge you in, in the path that you're going down. I think having those sorts of people around and having an environment where people are open to disagreeing has to be part of the of the whole decision making process and uh, strategy building process so I don't really view them as separate I view them uh, those sorts of things as being paramount to decision making and strategy building and um, you have to learn and adapt as you go through it but I think you, you have to have those checks and balances as part of your process and and not as something that you look to when things really go wrong or, or something uh, of that nature.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, in what ways do you think managing a team of athletes is like managing a company? I mean, obviously, it's kind of the same thing. But, you know, we we have a lot of listeners and readers who are uh, operating small businesses up to managing large corporations, what can they learn from your experience? uh, You think? Um, what's the biggest advice you can
0: give on that? Well, I I've only ever worked in hockey, so I I, uh, I don't know, but I I think in the end you're managing people, and so whether it's a, a hedge fund or whether it's a bank or whether it's a you know massive global business uh, in any sector, I think you're you're managing people because the the people and the processes you have in place are what's going to lead to your firm or your your enterprise having success or not and even if you have highly automated processes or you you still have to rely on on people to service the checks and balances or or to execute those so i I think the key is you know having an environment where um you know you're you're drawing in the best people where you're uh, then retaining the best people and you're allowing them to to be at their best the environment that you build is is the absolute key um and i think the, the key for me has been trying to hire people whether it's in coaching or analytics or uh, performance or or um our equipment staff or our uh, sports medicine staff you have to get people who are smarter than you uh, who can teach you things and and uh, where you can learn from in order to continue to move your program ahead rather than just focusing on trying to you know have everybody sort of report into you and, and you're the, the clear superior that that to me is is the key
1: yeah absolutely um and I, you know as we all know the road to the top is not always an easy one it really is it's one that's filled with a lot of bold difficult and sometimes unpopular decisions sometimes how do you navigate that decision making process when you know something might be met with criticism, or it might be an unpopular decision. Um, what's your thought process behind that?
0: I think that is, you know, in these jobs, especially where you have, you know, some businesses have uh, shareholders that care deeply about their team. We have fans that invest in and uh, are, mass, are, are the key support for our team. And we also have businesses that are key partners for our team that invest a lot into our team. And, there are going to be times because of how deeply invested those people are uh, or those enterprises are where you have to make decisions that impact the team that, that aren't going to be publicly uh, endorsed or admired. And I think those are the key times where you have to rely on the process that you go through to to make your decisions and to have your, your decision-making rooted in, in a, in a thorough process where you know that, Yes, it, it, in the short run, it may not be popular, and it may not look all too successful, but in the long run, here's was the process you went through to make the decision, here's why you made the decision, and, and here's why it's going to benefit the team in the long run. I think, especially in this job, everything that you do has to be to set the team up well uh, for the long run, and because of the work, type of work that we do, and because of the salary cap and other economic limitations, you're going to have to make very difficult, unpopular decisions, whether it's trading a popular player, not resigning a very popular player, um, or bringing in players that people may, that maybe aren't as big of names, but who fit a specific need that, that you have at that time, it's having, you know, in place a, a process that you can rely on to, to make solid and sound decisions, even if those decisions are going to be met with criticism. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with
1: that being said, you know, what is your, I guess, overarching philosophy around risk-taking when is it appropriate for you? When, when are you looking to, or willing to take a bet?
0: Well, I think in, in this work now, especially with our salary cap being flat, if you don't take risks, you're, you're, for one, every decision we make here has risk. There's risk of injury. There's risk of a down season or poor performance where a player doesn't live up to their contract or uh, to the cost of, of acquisition and a trade. You know, there's lots of various different risks that are involved in every decision that we do. And and there are things that we don't control that are going to impact the way that people view the outcomes of those decisions. And I think that if you're going to really be successful in these jobs and positions, you have to go in knowing that there's no decision that you're going to make that's going to be risk-free. And if you try to get as little risk built into every decision as possible, you're probably gonna end up as a mediocre club and franchise because you're probably playing it safe every single thing um, and every decision that you make. And you have to, if you're going to contend and win the Stanley Cup at times, take fairly significant risks with staffing, personnel, trades, free agents, and so on. And I think that that tolerance is simply part of uh, this position.
1: Yeah, no risk, no reward. Last question here. What is your mission at the end of the day? You know, obviously you have a goal within your role and with the team and where you want to lead the organization, but mm-hmm. you know, what is your what gives you purpose? You know, what informs the decisions you make every day, the direction that you want to go in ultimately um for you yourself?
0: I think the, the key, Lance, that that thing that we would measure ourselves by and the key thing that we're looking to do is we're looking to maximize the potential of every person that that comes through our door. So, um, it's our belief, whether it's in staffing or, or athletes that, you know, we're picking talented people. Um, but it's up to us to build an environment and build a program that can get the most out of those people. And so we feel that if we do that, we get the most out of every talented person that comes in here. If we keep knocking at the door and trying to break through long enough that we will break through and have success, and I so I, for me the key is that we're maximizing the potential of every person that enters our, our program. And from then those people will um go on, you know, spread the word about what we what we do here and um and that will become a part of their lives outside, you know inside and outside of our facility is trying to get the most out of everyone they come into contact with. Great. Well, that's a great way to end our chat. Uh,
1: thank you so much for your time. I really okay. appreciate it. It's great chatting and hope to chat again soon. Okay, thanks, Lance. Since emerging as one of the true mavericks of hockey's modern era, Kyle has always been one to stand firmly by his values, both on and off the ice. Now, as he looks ahead towards another season as Toronto's front office leader, he'll be relying on the same blend of analytical and interpersonal management approaches that have bred his success so far. Of course, he's come a long way since his days of managing junior hockey, but as always, Kyle's sights remain ambitious and larger than ever. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?